Oh my gosh, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Repros for Iowa. I'm your host, Micah Doolin. My pronouns are they or them. And happy Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday. I'm pretty sure it's Tuesday. Let's hope it's Tuesday. Let's get this week going. Um, yeah, update. I'm no longer accepting she or her pronouns. Um, so I was only using those pronouns as a way to make others comfortable about my identity. Um, and I realized that, um, I want to be comfortable, so (laughs) I'm non-binary. I only use they, them pronouns from here on out. So, yeah, if you're referring to me, please use they or them pronouns. Um, I I feel like I just needed to say that because I have been struggling to tell people and correct people about using proper pronouns with me and, like, making sure everybody else is comfortable without, like, uh, I don't know. It's just really self-damaging and it's really hurtful when, like, people, like, refer to me as, like, she or her or, like, girl or, like, woman. And I'm just like, oh, no, that's not me. I'm (laughs) non-binary. Don't refer to me as a woman. And it's just, I need to do that more for my coworkers, like, but I also don't want to be seen as that person. But, like, also, like, you know, it's my identity. Like, I, it's, it's not my job to make you comfortable about who I am. Like, uh, yeah. Anyways, I, yeah, I need to, to, to be better at that with correcting people. Um, because it stings every time somebody gets it wrong and it's just like bit by bit, it stings more and more each time. Um, but I'm like, I'm too passive of a person sometimes, um, to do that. But yeah, that's an update on that. I'm kind of rambly today. I'm really tired. There's a lot going on ever since we heard about the SCOTUS leak. I have been, and I know others have been, just nonstop on the go trying to take as many actions and set up as many things as we possibly can. Um, I've been working, you know, I've been hosting protests and rallies along with um, Corridor Community Action Network and some um, some other people in the area as well. Um, we, we did that a couple of weeks ago. If you're there, thank you so much for showing up and for being involved. I really appreciate that. Um, but you know, protests and rallies are great, but what we need is also to set like community things in place. Um, so I've been working, um, now that I'm, you know, out of jail and everything back to life, um, Yeah, I literally just got out of jail like (laughs) a month and a half ago and I'm already like overwhelmed um, with all the things that I have to do. But um, now that I'm back to life, I've been working with the Democratic Socialists of America of Iowa City um, and creating a reproductive justice response group. Um, That's not really an official title or anything. It's just what we've been calling it. Um, But yeah, we've been... (sighs) thinking about ways that we can get people involved and different actions that we can take here in our community. Um, One of the things that we're thinking about doing or that we are going to do um, that we're planning on doing is like pamphleting crisis pregnancy centers um, and kind of debating uh, like how we want to pursue that. um, If we can try to get them kicked out of their building Um, hosting a sit-in, taking it to city council, because those clinics, while they do offer fairly supportive adoption services and other things, they are also very, very harmful. They misinform people, they guilt trip people, they shame people. Um, And yeah, we had to wear options when we were like kind of thinking, hey, do we want to go after them? And the answer is like, yes, we need to, because we can also try to work with some other better places to get some of those more supportive services set up that with like a clinic that's not misinforming people and not guilt tripping and shaming people and pushing their white supremacist Christian patriarchal 
agenda on people. Um, I've had, yeah, anyways, um, sorry for going on a little spiel about that. Uh, but we're working on stuff like that. We're working on maybe doing a 40 days of pro-choice to counteract the Catholics 40 days of life. What we'd be doing for that would be like hosting or asking people to do during that 40 days, like individual actions as well as group actions. Um, and we're going to be working with different organizations within the community to get this going. Um, like the free mobile clinic. Um, want to work with more with closely with Emma Goldman and the Iowa Abortion Access Fund, Corridor Community Action Network, um, the free medical clinic and the mobile clinic. I think I said the mobile clinic. Um, but we want to get more things set up in place to like make our community more um, accessible to people that are seeking reproductive health care and support and stuff like that. Um, so I'm really excited about this little response team that we've got going on. Um, I've met some really cool people. And, you know, just doing this work, like, within the last, like, two weeks, I've met some awesome people doing this. Um, so that gives me a lot of hope about the future. Um, you know, we've been also protesting at St. Wenceslas Church. Um, and so... Uh, if you've seen my Facebook post, you might be wondering, like, why specifically that church? So I'm just going to give you a little background. The reason why we do that is because on every anniversary of Roe v. Wade, they mobilize at that church. They meet at that church and then walk over to Emma Goldman on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade to protest and to pray and um, so that's why we specifically picked that church. Um, maybe we'll pick other churches in the future. I know that there's a very pro-life Catholic church in Solon that I would love to carpool with people um, and maybe stage a walkout. Um, because, and um, why I would pick the Solon church is because of their website <laughs> and because I know uh, a protester at Emma Goldman specifically goes to that church. Um, but yeah, we're just doing, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. There's just a lot going on. Uh, but um, yeah, there's a lot going on and I'm trying to keep it all straight. I'm trying to tell you all about it. Um, I don't know. I'm also working with the National Storytellers of Planned Parenthood, so I've like also got that in my back in the background at all times. Like if they need me to speak or if they need me to help other people with their stories or um yeah, there's just so much work to be done and there's always going to be things to do and like um it's great. I love it. This work brings me so much meaning or so much meaning to my life that, and I'm so thankful for it, but, um, I get overwhelmed. I'm worn out and I'm tired and I'm angry. Um, I have a hard time processing like <laughs> heavy emotions. Uh, when I feel heavy emotions, like I want to drink. Um, luckily I haven't relapsed or anything. I'm still sober, but like, I know my mental health is like deteriorating. I've been missing therapy appointments. I've missed like my psychiatrist appointment. Like I've tried to set it up for three weeks straight and I just keep sleeping through it um, because I work overnights. Um, but, and it's hard to get up to be like, oh, yo, I need to speak to my psychiatrist. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, that's something I need to do better about. And that's something that if you are involved with me or any of these organizations or doing any sort of activism, you need to be, we all need to be making sure that we are taking care of ourselves. Um, first and foremost, uh, setting self-care time. Um, I've been doing a lot of swimming recently. I swam all the way up through high school and I can't run anymore. So that's why I chose swimming. Um, and I love it. And it's just like 30 minutes to an hour of just like me time. Um, no phone, no anything, just me in the pool. And, um, I, I just need to be better about taking care of my mental health. 
um, going forward, um, making sure I make those appointments, making sure I talk to my therapist about my activism work, because this, this is a lot. It's almost like another full-time job. Like I already work 40 to 45 hours, sometimes more a week. I haven't been doing it recently because of everything that's going on, but I, I practically work, you know, doing this, you know, a lot of hours a week. Um, so I just, I need to be making sure that I'm, I'm doing things for me and that I'm spending time with Tyler and my cats and my lizard and taking a bath every once in a while and eating some good food, um, that wasn't thrown together at the last second or cereal. Um, I have to stop eating cereal. My, my body does, (laughs) I don't think my body can take any more cereal, honestly, at this point. Um, especially cinnamon toast crunch. I've been eating a lot of cinnamon toast crunch lately. (laughs) Uh, That sounds silly to say, but like I I was really going hard on the cereal for a while. And like, that's like the only thing I was eating. And that's like, for me, that's when I, I know that things aren't good mentally with me if I'm not taking care of myself. Um, luckily, like I said, I haven't relapsed. I haven't had any thoughts about drinking, honestly. Um, so that's great. And I'm coming up on, you know, almost a year of sobriety. You know, I had those really two small relapses. So I, I barely count those. So I'm just going to say it that I'm almost a year sober. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really it. I'm sorry I'm rambling. Like, if you want to fast forward through all of this, me just talking and ranting and getting it all off, you're more than welcome to. My cat's being weird. Um, I left the door open, so my cat Bojack is kind of in here, wandering around. He's so cute. Uh, He's my little cuddle buddy. He has been cuddling with me almost every day. <laughs> when he's not being a little a little turd bucket, he's very cute. Um but yeah, um you know, if you are wanting to get involved somehow, there are so many different ways to get involved. We want more people in our Democratic Socialist of America Ohio City working group. Um we want more people to to help us pamphlet crisis pregnancy centers. We want people to to come in with ideas of how we can help the community. Um, so that meeting isn't closed just to DSA members. It's open for anybody. Um, you know, I wasn't really a Democrat. <laughs> I wasn't really part of the DSA until I somebody approached me and was like, Hey, do you want to run a group? And I was just like, okay, sure. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there um, because those are the types of things that we need to do to stay connected with each other um, and build a better community with each other. Um, yeah. Okay. I think, I think I'm ready to air the interview. <laughs> I'm just giving myself a minute because I, I know I've been talking for a while, but it, it kind of feels good just to talk into the void. Um, uh, so this interview that I am going to air, I did a while ago, um, back in December. So I did it with Margaret Fuller and Hannah Von Ert. And they are two medical students that work with the University of Iowa group, Medical Students for Choice. Um, So, yeah, I somehow found their group on Facebook and I asked them, hey, do you guys want to do a podcast episode? And they said, sure. And it was awesome. Um, They do a ton of stuff. Their group was officially formed in 2015. Um, but they've been active before that they do a lot of do, they advocate for a lot of curriculum reform. Um, 
and more abortion for more abortion training. They fundraise for Emma Goldman. They spread awareness and participate in political action for expansion of abortion access. And Hannah and Margaret have been on the leadership for several years, and they're both in dual MD PhD programs and are both doing PhD research full time. Um, I don't know how up to date that is, but that was from one of the emails that they sent me about what their group does. Um, I think it's a great interview. They are both so knowledgeable. I hope you all learn a lot. Um, I Once again, I am sorry for the randomness of these podcast release dates, but it is what it is. We're all just trying to hang in there. Um, everybody stay safe. Enjoy the interview, and I will see you next time. Did you hear? Yeah, cool. I got to get my cats out of the room. Get out of here, guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's every meeting that I have, too, when we're doing stuff from home. They're so bad. They, but my cats scratch at the door. So it's like almost more disruptive to lock them out of the room. So I was just like, guys, you are going to see my cat at some point. Um, Be cool about it. <laughs> I feel bad because they'll like scratch at the door. Um, yeah, if I close it, but that's okay. They're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> Be cool, guys. Be cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So do you guys want to go ahead and sorry, is you guys okay? I just say that sure. a lot. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, your names, your pronouns, and a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I guess I can go first. So my name is Hannah Van Ert. Uh, I am she, I use pronouns she, her. Um, and then a little bit about what I do. So both Marker and I are in the medical science training program at UW, or, uh, UIowa. And so basically what that means is it's a dual degree program. So at the end of our training, we'll have both MD and PhD training. Um, And so right now, both of us are in the science portion of our um, uh, track. So we're both in our PhD uh, phases right now. And so I am studying immunology, um, particularly viral infections uh, in pregnancy and how viruses affect the placenta. Wow. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. And then, um, yeah, what I'm doing. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. That was that was a good um, introduction to the kind of the weird program we're in. Um, mm-hmm. My name is Margaret Fuller. I use she/her pronouns as well. And I, um, in my PhD, I am working on a project involving opioids and cocaine and how they affect responses in the brain and uh, how they affect behavior. Wow, Um, smart. (laughs) Uh, That's really awesome. Um, I didn't know that they had any programs like that out there, so that's pretty cool. Um, So you guys are both part of the um, University of Iowa Medical Students for Choice. Can you tell me a little bit about that group and what you aim to do? Yeah, so um, Margaret was actually the, the founder of the organization. So Margaret, do you want to explain? Sure, yeah. So um, we started out pretty small. Um, we were an active group before it officially fa- uh, formed. So I was part of the group officially creating the chapter, Medical Students for Choice. But there was definitely a group before that who was active. And um, typically every, every year we would do a fundraiser for Emma Goldman. And that was the only thing we would do pretty much until um, it, so we officially formed in 2015, 2016, the presidential election happened and people became much more interested and active in the space, uh, protecting abortion access and, um, became aware that there was, a, a now a serious threat to abortion access, um, coming, uh, which is now playing out of course. Um, and so the group grew and grew and grew, and there was a lot more interest every single year, it seemed. Um, so we grew from just two people to then a leadership team of six or seven and a, a pretty active um, general membership as well. So we expanded our um, our work to include not just fundraising, um, but also educational seminars, uh, hands-on trainings for medical students. Um, we've also done... Um, uh, 
the um, uh, curriculum reform, sorry. Um, so the, there's a, um, a resistance in the medical school to training medical students on abortion and how it works and the different forms of abortion. Um, other schools have a record of teaching this to medical students in a more thorough way. And so we have been trying to encourage our school administration to reform our curriculum to include more abortion training for medical students. Um, and we also have now, uh, particip we're participating more and more every year in uh, political activity. So trying to um, pressure the Iowa legislature as well to cut it with their, um, you know, restriction. Uh, you know, I think last year we tracked as many, like 15, 16 bills that it was, were intended. Yeah. yeah, an appalling amount of bills. Yeah. And it was a lot of work just to keep track of where they were at. I mean, it's, it's a very opaque process. And so we've been getting more and more involved in um, tracking those things, informing our medical schools, uh, students, our fellow students about these things and opportunities to, um, you know, share our voices and share our opinions about what we think um, the legislation should do about these uh, increasing restrictions. That sounds amazing. Thank you for doing that. Um, thank you for getting involved. I really appreciate, I don't, I, don't say, I don't appreciate it, but I think it's awesome that you are doing those things. Um, it's really important and it's getting pretty scary out there. 15 different bills for, um, for what, for restricting abortion access? Yeah, there was a whole bunch of different ones last year. Like there was definitely the um, constitutional amendment that got through both houses. And that was the one that went the furthest, I believe. But then they also had all these ridiculous, like they had the ectopic pregnancy bill where it was like a doctor has a responsibility to put an ectopic pregnancy back in the uterus. And all of us are like, that's not a thing. They had one that was about a, this a concept that people have now about abortion reversal, which is basically just high doses of progesterone, which is like fundamentally not based in science. Like it is impossible to reverse the actions of um, mifepristone. And so there was that one. There was, I, I mean, there was just a whole bunch of other ones. Uh, I'm sure that there was a, was there another six week ban? There is definitely a heartbeat bill that they tried yeah. to do, I think. Yeah. So there was just any weird one that you could ever imagine they tried. Oh, that's crazy. It's especially that it seems like they're doing stuff that's, um, they don't know what they're talking about, especially no. if, like, I'm not a science person, so I don't know anything about it either, but like, it would be hard to, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that they're doing it um, when that has- well you know, I think it's unfortunate because I don't think that many of them are intended to pass. Yeah. I think a lot of Iowa legislators think that they can get political points by mm -hmm. throwing spaghetti, spaghetti at the wall in order mm -hmm. to restrict or alter abortion in Iowa and abortion mm -hmm. access. And so just by trying to propose bills that are ridiculous, they get their, you know, their constituency all excited about the prospect of banning abortion, um, the religious fundamental Iowans out there. And so um, I don't think that many of them are intended to pass, but of course they have real implications for real lives. And so those of us who care about abortion access, um, you know, we don't wanna turn a blind eye just because it's, you know, it's, uh, they're, they're just playing with people's lives, you know? Right. Um, so that leads me to my next, next question, kind of, um, why do you think it's important for medical students to take part in abortion training and also fight for abortion rights? You know what, I, I, and I think of it, and I think the majority of our board members would agree that even if you don't necessarily see yourself providing abortions, having an abortion, you know, whatever, you are, you are going to encounter a person who has experienced an abortion or will need to experience an abortion in your time as a physician. No matter what specialty you are in, it's gonna impact you somehow. Um, and so I just think it's necessary for us to at least be knowledgeable about, about it in the same way that we are knowledgeable about you know, how, you know, how to do 
anything like medications related to the heart or medications related to the kidney or certain other medical procedures. It is just a piece of information that I think is fundamental for every person providing medicine to know about. And so, um, I, like I said before, I'm pretty sure that, or I believe that that is a stance that the majority or all of our board members believe in too. So Margaret, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that. but I think that was a really good answer, Hannah. I totally agree with you. And um, I also think that people shy away from the topic of abortion because it's this like forbidden political topic that um, especially when the school administration isn't requiring education on abortion, then people think that it's something that they can avoid learning about. And like Hannah said, it's a really important part of medicine. Um, it's also based in science. It's an evidence-based practice that has very good evidence for its practice. And um, I also think that we cannot avoid politics forever as, as healthcare providers, our job is inherently political. Providing care is a political act. I also think providing care for in exchange for money is extremely political. And so uh, we can't just avoid politics. You know, trying to avoid these topics is is going to end up being a political choice. And so I just think we all have a responsibility to figure out what we believe about these things and 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 based on the evidence and science, you know, what we think is the right um, the right way to practice. So I think I think we have a, a responsibility to figure out where we stand on these things. And um, I think once you figure out where you stand, it's hard not to um, you know give your opinion because it's you you learn that it's really important and also has impacts on our patients' health and, and we should all care about that. Awesome. Um, so what types of fundraisers have you done and are you going to be doing one next year? Uh, or like, yeah, what type of fundraisers have you done? Are you gonna be doing more in the future? Yeah, so um, historically, one of the, like, the big fundraiser that we have done in the past, um, we've done an annual performance of the vagina monologues. Um, we've kind of moved away from that one because of COVID and the place where we used to have it, the mill downtown, they unfortunately closed. Um, and we also feel like that wasn't inclusive to a vast majority of identities. Um, and so we're kind of been moving away from that production. Um, we've been kind of looking for another performance to do. So um, one idea that we've had is Shout Your Abortion, which is similar, it's a similar concept to Vagina Monologues, but it's more focused around abortion. Um, I also believe there's another one that I can't think of off the top of my head, but another like kind of performance-based one. And it, what we do is, you know, people come, I think we pay, there's like a, a cover charge or like a ticket charge or whatever. And, the, and all of that just goes to Emma Goldman. And then also once we've been there, we've um, had a t-shirt fundraiser before. So we've worked with Raygun. Um, that was a couple of years ago now, but we made t-shirts that said uh, reproductive rights or human rights. Um, and so I think we were able to raise like $500 um, with that. And then we've also been working with a couple of local artists. So there's a, um, a sister duo here locally in town called um, Women in Resin, I believe is their name. And they're, uh, like I said, they're sisters and they produce just like um, little, little resin pieces that are all about like reproductive rights. Mm. Um, I have, I don't have one. I have one. <laughs> it used to be on my backpack, but it fell off. But they, like, I have a little keychain. Um, they make earrings and they'll, they have like, you know, uteruses or I stay on the plant parenthood. And so they were, so they were kind enough to do a fundraiser with us. And then the most recent fundraiser that we have done this year is um, over at the medical school campus, we have something called Science Thursdays where a lot of local food trucks will come in um, and every Thursday and we just have food. And it's really wonderful all throughout the summer. And so um, we worked with the person who organizes that and we asked one of the food trucks if they'd be willing to have a fundraiser that would benefit Emma Goldman Clinic. And so all of the, or like a percentage of their profits that they made one day uh, went to Emma Goldman. So those are all the big ones that, I've, that we've done recently. Um, yeah. Nice. That sounds like you're doing a lot of work. Um, that's amazing, really. Um, so 
I wanted to go back to why there's not really extensive abortion training in the University of Iowa. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because that's not part of their curriculum or do you think that there's like a bigger picture to that, I guess? Yeah, so Margaret, feel free to jump into one thing that, and I don't want to create an out because I don't think it's at all responsible to not teach it. But one thing that I think the medical school is up against is currently how the med school is structured is we have 18 months of in-classroom where we're just in class all day, every day, and that's our didactic curriculum. And then we move in the last, what is that, two and a half years to the clinic. And so then there we go through what we have, the core years of clinic. So it's all the specialties you could think of, um, internal medicine, um, your family medicine, like where you go to see a doctor, OBGYN surgery, psych neuro. Um, and then you do, you have like another like six months or so of electives or like advanced electives where people can actually kind of whittle down their specialty. And so in the didactic part of our curriculum, you're, they're trying to shove, and it used to be two years worth of material that now they're trying to shove into 18 months. And one thing about medical school in general is it always feels like you're trying to drink out of a fire hose because you're trying to learn all of medicine in four years. And then you're trying to learn all of the nitty gritty, like physiology details in a year and a half. Um, and so one thing, and the thing that I think they cop out on the most is, oh, well, we don't have room in our curriculum to dedicate a whole lecture to abortion services. So that's one thing. Um, and then unfortunately, I do think the medical school, and again, I don't speak for the medical school. I don't know what kind of legal disclosures we need to have, if any, but like, I don't, I do like in general, a lot of Iowans are way more conservative than I think and that surfaces in the medical school too. I think a lot of people are more conservative than we would like. Um, and so I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think that, I think they're a little bit hesitant because I think they know that it'll open a can of worms. Um, and I think they'd have to answer to a lot of students. And I think they would be pushed to have some sort of like opt-in, opt-out uh, kind of educational structure. But um, that's kind of where, that's kind of where I sit is, I don't think it's necessarily anything super malicious, but I do think it is, they don't necessarily want to open that can of worms or deal with the fallout. Um, Margaret, what else do you have? What else do you think? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's definitely true. I think also one thing that um, also affects the way our curriculum is structured is that sometimes during certain sections of that 18 months where we're in class, receiving lectures multiple times a day is that sometimes every lecturer in a series will be taught by a different person. And there's definitely points that we've identified in the curriculum through the people who do the curriculum reform work who are doing a great job have identified lectures that bring up the medications that are associated with medic that you use for medicated abortion, where abortion is just very, very casually mentioned in the lecture, but there is no take two seconds to explain the process at all. It's just like, oh, and also these drugs are used for abortion because they're like used for GI problems, I think. Um, so that's what they originally were for. And then it was discovered that they can be used for medicated abortion. But that person chooses not to take the two seconds to explain. And um, as much as we would like to see a full lecture, there are place, there are definitely places in the curriculum where you could do an hour long lecture on abortion. We had an hour long lecture on roll bars on tractors. So like we can have a, a lecture on abortion. That's just my opinion. Um, I think also that there are individual lecturers who are punting the responsibility down the line and nobody is taking it upon themselves to teach it. I think if there was a lecturer who chose that this was, you know, it's gonna be my job to teach it for two seconds in this one slide, I think that would be an improvement. Um, but I think it's getting punted and then the school administration isn't, isn't requiring it as part of individual lectures. And so it's also just kind of like falling between the cracks and it's up to people like us who care about it to insist that it's a part of our curriculum, it turns out, because this our particular school administration, because half the med students and, and probably maybe half the doctors are 
conservative and maybe would object to it, they, they don't want to make it an issue. Yeah. And then I don't, I know that we, so going back to like the clinical side of it too, I, so fair, I, Margaret, nor Margaret or I have gone through the clinical training yet. Margaret, I don't know. You've never, you haven't had your OBGYN resident or uh, clerkship yet, but from what I understand is there's not a lot of time dedicated on the actual clerkship to understanding that either. A lot, my understanding is a lot of the education that we get about abortion in medical school is self, you seek it out. So like one of the things that MSFC does is we try to host um, a, a, a little seminar once a year where we have our faculty advisor come in and she's an OBGYN, she's an abortion provider and she gives her spiel about these are the medications, these are the doses. Here's like, if you have, if your patient wants a values clarification or if they, she want, or they want to talk about, um, you know, if helping them make a decision about whether they would like to terminate their pregnancy, she kind of walks us through that. But besides that, there's not a lot of like, you don't do a values clarification. You don't do a vacuum uh, aspiration abortion. Like all of that is done by MSFC. Um, and so you don't, you get the people who want to get exposed to that have the opportunity to be exposed to that, but it's not, we don't place it in front of people as a, this is just basic medical knowledge that you should know about. Right. Oh, great. Well, thank you for taking the time to explain that. Um, are you both interested in working in clinics when you graduate or becoming OBGYNs or what, what is the path for you both when you graduate? Yeah, so I'm interested in OBGYN. I don't, I'm more interested just because of how I see my career going. I would like to have a lab and be a clinician. And so this kind of subspecialty that I'm interested in is more maternal fetal medicine. So it's more of taking care of high-risk pregnancies. Um, but if, you know, if I ever, if something strays from that, I have no qualms about being an abortion provider. Um, I feel like, especially as an OBGYN, it is more fundamentally a part of routine medicine that needs to happen and needs to happen safely. Um, so yeah, I have no qualms about it. I just, I don't know if that's ultimately where my career will end up. I am not interested in OB-GYN. Um, I am interested in family medicine, which also uh, performs abortions. Um, I'm interested in I'm really interested in psychiatry, which obviously would not be a specialty where abortion is provided. But I think um, I'm interested in social determinants of health. I am interested in social justice. I am interested in um, protecting the health of women. Um, that really matters to me and, um, and other people who need abortions. Um, and so that is where I come at this topic from um, that the people who need abortions are people I care about. And, and when they can't get abortions, um, it causes a huge problem and a cascading issue of, of social justice problems and um, affects the social determinants of health that I really care about. Um, I also think it's not, outside the, it's not outside the realm of possibility that I could end up being an abortion provider. Um, but at this point, that's not a career goal specifically that I have. Sure. Um, so I'm going to take it to a little bit of, 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 I'm sorry, I'm going to take it to a little bit of more of a political question. Um, what do you guys think about some of these bans that ban abortion before viability? And what would your medical opinion be, even though you are students? Yeah, so I have been thinking about this a lot. So currently, in terms of medical definition of viability. It's the general consensus that it's around 24 weeks. However, Iowa is one of, it's a, uh, one of the best NICUs in the country in terms of survivability of infants born at 22 weeks. So I just wanted to put that out there in terms of viability is a moving target somewhat with medical advances. However, like I don't necessarily think that it matters truthfully, because there's so many other things outside of, okay, well, could this fetus survive on its own outside the womb? And 
I, when I say we have some of the best outcomes in the country, I still think a 22 weeker born here is, has a chance of surviving of like 30 to 40%. Like, I think it's even lower than that. I don't have the direct quotes on the direct stats on the top of my head, but chances of survival of that 22 week infant are low. And on top of that, like having escaping prematurity without any sort of extreme, um, health outcomes, negative outcomes in the future are also very low. Um, and so I'm not saying that at all to like dissuade anybody from having a 22 weeker or, you know, start any conversation surrounding that. But I just want to say like, that's kind of where we are with viability in this country. And again, I don't think it should really matter because ultimately it is the person seeking an abortion to decide that. And gen generally speaking, if a person gets to the age of viability, like if a pregnancy gets to the age of viability, it is a pregnancy that is generally wanted. And unfortunately there is something that happens that that parent has decided that they wanna terminate that pregnancy for the sake of their own health or for the sake of that fetus's health. Um, and we, we all know the stats that I think it's like 1% of, of, Margaret might help me out with the stats here, but I think it's like 1% of all quote unquote late term or like our late term abortions. And I say that because like that terminology is atrocious. Um, and if you look at the majority of those abortions, it is due to uh, health issues related to the parent or the fetus. Um, and additionally, if you factor in now all the abortion bans, that all, might also include people who've wanted an abortion but have not been able to access it because of all of the stupid restrictions that are being put in place. Um, and so for me personally, the viability thing I don't, it's, it doesn't really matter. I think it's a, it's a red herring generally. Um, yeah, Margaret, what else do you have to add? I think that's totally right, Hannah. I think it's a smokescreen um, and limiting abortions in the later stages of pregnancy is only going to harm the family that you're describing because the family you're describing is dealing with severe health problems um, and they're trying to make the best decision they can for the health of everybody involved. Um, and you're stepping into that very intimate decision-making and making blanket statements that are not based in reality. And um, ultimately the trying to figure out where the mark of viability is, is just like a, just so bizarre exercise in, um, in, you know, I don't know. I, it, it's just not, it's not rooted in reality. Um, and and it's, it's intended, I think, to make abortion seem um, malicious in some way um, when, it, when it really isn't. Yeah, so I think, and I think also the definition of viability, I think, is also like a 50% survival rate. That's the, oh. that's the breaking point, I think, of viability. Again, I, I should fact check that probably before I say it, but I'll, maybe I'll fact check it right now. Mm -hmm. I was just looking that up too. Yeah, I know. So currently it's is defined at 24 weeks, but I'm not really sure how they got that. I know, I know just from speaking with some of the neonatologists we've had here, the big thing that you're dealing with with viability is how underdeveloped a fetus's lungs are. So, you know, you and I have these little air sacs that that's where air meets our blood and oxygen is exchanged. Those are not even close to being developed in a fetus that age. Yeah. And so there's all sorts of special respiratory equipment that needs to have, like we, they've, they've had to develop such intricate respiratory support for these fetuses, uh, infants at that point, that it's, it's truly just wild. And again, I don't mean, I don't say this to start any conversation about uh, disabilities, although I do think that has a huge role to play in this conversation. I'm just saying that like, if I am a, am I, if I am a parent and I am trying to make the decision about having an abortion because my infant has anencephaly or some other sort of like terminal disease, and I was told that I could not have one because it was against the law and I had to give birth to this infant and watch it suffer. Like that would be exponentially more heartbreaking to me than potentially having a more peaceful termination and delivery of that fetus. Um, 
one thing that Margaret and I, I don't, I don't know, Margaret, if you've ever gone to it, but one thing that Medical Students for Choice, the national organization does is every year they help, they hold a conference on family planning out in Philadelphia. And that, that conference covers the whole spectrum of reproduction. So, you know, they have people there who are birth doulas. They have some people, and there's a lot of people there who talk about abortion and um, how they provide it. But they also have like afterbirth stuff. Like here is conversation about why, you know, potentially child protective services is, does more harm than good in some cases. Um, so what I'm trying to get at here is at that conference, I had the, I went to a, a couple different talks about um, providers who work at abortion clinics where they provide quote unquote late term abortions up to, I think they said like 24, 28 weeks. And they walked us through their whole procedure of these, again, late term abortions. And I'm saying these in air quotes because I think that's a terrible term, but the majority or actually all of the abortions that they see at their clinic are fetal demise or uh, abortions for the sake of the parent. And they walked us through their whole procedure and their, the environment that they have that done. And, and overall, I mean, it's a very emotional time for the parents and it is a very like taxing time. But I think in the end that is less damaging and they do take like evidence-based steps to help the parents cope with the loss of that infant versus the wholly traumatic experience it is of being told you cannot have an abortion and being forced to carry that pregnancy um, and deliver that pregnancy knowing that that infant will die and suffer. Um, and so that's a very long-winded way of saying that like, I think viability, it's, it's a useful metric in some aspects, but in the terms, in terms of like abortion and deciding when people can have access to abortion, I don't think it's, it, it's not useful. Yeah, it's, it's useful as a prognosis for a patient that is specific to where the patient is located and the health of the pregnancy and the mother or person providing the, like carrying the abortion, the pregnancy. But I, but I did, I mean, the statistics indicate that a, a pregnancy carried to 24 weeks, still depending on where you are giving birth, could be a viability rate of 30% or as high as 70%. So you're still talking about incredible medical costs at the very at the very best scenario, incredible medical costs leading to as much as a 70% chance of surviving. Um, this is a incredibly intimate decision that could lead to a lot of medical related trauma. And um, the family as a whole needs to be able to make that decision freely with their physician. I mean, it's like, this is just the, the ultimate crux of the, of the, discussion is like, do we want to take this decision out of the hands of the person carrying the pregnancy and into the hands of a legislator who obviously doesn't understand the process um, of how, you know, medical decisions are made, how the family operates as a whole, how the medical system functions, the billing process. I mean, they don't understand any part of it um, because physicians are not in the room when these decisions are made. You know, physicians are not people probably assume physicians are a part of the decision-making process when legislation is written. And it's just really, the fact that viability is even in the language is um, I think illustrative of the fact that, you know, science is not being um, used in this process. Um, so I just have one last question for you. Um, so what could listeners do to get involved with you guys? Um, do you guys regularly post um when you have events up and stuff like that yeah so we have both um an instagram page and a facebook page i am trying to pull up our instagram page right now i think that's probably the better place to follow us um just because i think more people have instagram but it is just medical students for choice and our, our like uh little handle is msfc underscore u iowa um and then i'm sure Maybe I can send you the link for our Facebook page if you have uh, like show notes or something like that. Yeah. Or put it on the flyer because uh, we've been <laughs> we've been having a little te technical difficulty. There's an old Facebook page that's closed and then we have a new Facebook page. So I'll have to dig around and find that, but that's probably the best way. And then truly like other ways to just get involved is, um, and this is something that we're trying to do, but just really try to stay up to date with the Iowa legislature and 
it is difficult because the website sucks. Things move all the time. They're not really good about telling you when the public uh, comment sections are open. Um, and that's something that we are trying to be, we've gotten fairly good at reading the website now. We're gonna, maybe that's something that we can do is put that up on our Instagram or our Facebook page about this bill is doing this, this bill is doing this. Um, the kind of unfortunate thing about living in Johnson County is that it is very blue. And so, you know, the default is call your representative. Your representatives are probably already Democrats and they probably already know. Um, so if anyone listens that it's in Iowa that is in a red county, that would be even more beneficial to do uh, is call your representative and really be a thorn in their side regarding what you think um, and about, you know, how medicine is not in, or science is not in a lot of these bills that are being proposed. Um, and then if we have any other fundraisers, that would be another way people have extra money to donate to Emma Goldman. They're always in need, or even just donating directly to Emma Goldman. So you can go to their website and they have donation amounts that you can make and they'll tell you what they're used for. So like, I think we just recently donated hundred dollars and the tag that was under that amount of money was help subsidize an abortion. And some of the lower amounts are like help, help subsidize a pap smear or like an annual reproductive health exam. Um, and so those are all really good ways. I know money is tight, so I, we never wanna like guilt anybody for uh, not having money. Um, and even just, again, just ha keep having conversations around this topic. I think the best way is to have these conversations and to help people who might be on the fence about abortion you know, kind of see how it impacts people in their everyday lives. So I think those are the best ways to kind of get involved with us and keep, in, keep involved with uh, help keeping abortions available. Yeah, and if you're, if you're really interested, you really think this is something that you're interested in doing, you can definitely, um, you know, get involved. There's the, the Hawks for Choice if you're in the undergrad um, side of, the University of Iowa. If you're a healthcare professional, you're welcome to come join us. You can also just sign up to our, for our newsletter. We, um, we send regular emails. That's probably the majority of our communication is through email, where we would send those granular updates about actions you can take when legislation is going through. So you would get informed um, whenever we have an action to take there. And we also send out emails about the stuff happening at the national chapter. So Medical Students for Choice, the national chapter has a lot of really cool virtual events um, as well as big events um, nationally every year that happen in person like uh, development programs and um, training institutes. So if you wanna go to their website, Medical Students for Choice and um, check out some of their webinars and stuff, some of them have been absolutely incredible. Um, or you can shoot us an email and we'll add you to our email list and you can uh, stay up to date that way. That sounds great. Um, that's all the questions I have for you. Um, unless there's anything else that you could think of that you that we didn't cover that you would like to speak on. No. I mean, I just one thing I, I don't realize, I don't know if people really understand just like how fundamentally science is not in the room when these bills are written. <laughs> like we talk about it all the time and it just, it blows our minds. Like as people who have, and I'm not saying like Margaret and I do not know everything. We are not pretending we know everything, but we do know enough that like some of the, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> some of the shit that they propose is absolutely, it was just, it's just like, it, no one with an ounce of reproductive health information like science or background in their brain would think that that's a good idea so I know people are not surprised by that but it literally just blows my mind constantly that that is there um, I also just want to go back to like how people can contact us we um I can give you my email and you can put that on the flyer too I'm happy okay. to have my email there but um yeah those are I think we've we've told you all the things that we do and how we try to stay involved so yeah, thank you so much for having us on. Yes, yeah, thank, thank you, you 